Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 78. inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. In the 20th century, in casting the ideal CEO, we took our cues from MBAs and the military. But the most recent superstars, such as Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, and Larry Page, they don't really seem to fit that model. So you have to ask, is that still the most effective model for the 21st century? Well, to talk to us about that today is Maria Judice and Christopher Ireland. Their newest book is Rise of the DEO, Leadership by Design. It's about a new model for leaders to excel in unpredictable, fast-moving, and value-charged conditions. Maria is Facebook's Director of Product Design, and Christopher is co-founder at the startup incubator Mix and Stir. Maria and Christopher, welcome to Engaging Leader. Hi, Jesse. Happy to be here. Yep, me too. Can you each tell us a little bit about your current roles at Facebook and Mix and Stir? Okay, well, my role at Facebook is actually relatively uh, recent. Um, prior to working at Facebook, I was the CEO and founder of a large experience design company called Hot Studio, which uh, created uh, digital experiences for um, all sorts of clients, large and small, from startups to Fortune 100 companies. Uh, we were around for about 15 years uh, in two locations in San Francisco and New York. And uh, this year, in um, March of this year, Facebook acquired the talented people of Hot Studio, where I now work as one of the directors of product design. So I get to work at this uh, amazing company that serves over a billion people around the world and whose mission is to make the world more open and connected. And I get to work with just a talented team of people to help envision what Facebook of the future is going to look like for all of us. And like Maria, um, I also worked and led a large agency for most of my career. That company was called Cheskin, and it was one of the pioneers of design research in Silicon Valley. So at its peak, we had five offices in the country and uh, were serving a, a large selection of Fortune 500 clients. Again, similarly, we sold the company um, back in 2007, I think it was, and I had the you know, great good fortune to be able to think about what I wanted to do next. I chose to start teaching at uh, one, of our leading, um, one of the leading design institutions uh, that's based here in San Francisco, California College of the Arts, which is commonly referred to as CCA. And Maria and I paired up at that time and started teaching a class called The Business of Design, which really was taking the principles we've learned about uh, design leadership and you know putting them into practice, helping students learn to be um, powerful leaders, and that led to the founding of Mix and Stir, which um, which actually incubates some of the ideas that uh, that designers come up with, and you know it helps them uh, create startups and get them funded. Now, when you both mention the term design or a designer. You're talking about something that's a field that's broader than simply, let's say, graphic design, for example, designing logos and brochures and whatnot, right? Absolutely. Um, 
It's interesting because one of the things I often ask my fellow designers is, how do you describe what you do? And (laughs) they often kind of stumble over the words. Um, And uh, so somebody would ask, well, what do you do for a living? I'm a designer. What does that mean? And it could be, it's very hard to describe. And um, for example, somebody will say, you know, like I work with, I work with clients on on different types of platforms, uh, help them solve problems. And then people really like, I don't really understand what you're talking about. In fact, design is a very abstract term, but people often relegate it to uh, being makers of artifacts. Designers don't like to describe themselves that way, but people in the industry seem to always think design is about um, output. Uh, could be graphic design, it could be interior design. Um, and it really minimizes what design means um, in the world. And we really think of design as more of a democratic term where everybody can participate in a co-creation and collaborative process. Yeah, and I think the, the way that um, we see design as it's currently practiced is um, people who are capable of leading collective change. So people who... Um, are not intimidated by by uh, you know change or risk taking. Um, people who can uh, get others to collaborate together, who can um, approach every challenge or opportunity as a problem that's that's possible, that has a possibility of being solved. So it, again, it, it actually broadens the term designer even further because it it encourages those people who have those abilities, even though they may not know how to draw, they may not know how to sculpt, they may not know how to you know create a an industrial design mold. They still have the ability to be a design leader. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we say the rise of the DEO, namely the design executive officer, we are not necessarily saying that you must be trained as a designer in art school to possess these characteristics, that these qualities and characteristics can exist in anybody um, who can leverage their creativities in ways to solve problems. So, for example, I know in your book you you mentioned Steve Jobs as an example of a DEO, even though the guy didn't go to art school, for example. That's correct. He is a perfect example, uh, probably the first, he's probably the first leader that comes to mind when people think about, think differently about what leaders could be and how they differ from traditional CEOs that are more, that adopt more of a command and control style. Um, Steve is one of those uh, guys who really lived in the space between analytics and imagination. Um, He knew how to uh, build a successful company and he knew how to leverage his insight and intuition in such powerful ways that uh, enables great products to be born. Did you want to add anything to that, Christopher? Well, I think um, I, I, I think we like um, Steve Jobs as an example, but he's a little bit unattainable at, at times. You know, people think of him as this um, amazing once in a lifetime type of person. So we often, uh, I mean, we, we included in the book, we included the profiles of six or seven other leaders currently working who we think embody the values and the characteristics of DEOs. And, and um, one of our favorites is um, the leader of uh, Autodesk, Carl Bass. Now, Autodesk is a $2 billion software company, it's quite uh, large, not a little startup. 
But Carl has managed to combine his abilities in engineering and uh, his art sensibilities into to being a very effective leader of that company. Mm-hmm. You mentioned how a DEO is different from a CEO. What, what, in what ways are the, what, what are those differences? Um, the easiest way to think of this is that the, the CEO, because it came out of the industrial era, the CEO is based on a command and control model. Now there's you know there's some CEOs who are soft and fuzzy, but the 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 model, the archetypal model, is one of command and control. It's one of planning, um, executing to plan, um, evaluation, um, controlling and managing uh, employees, and and not really embracing the uh, evolution or iteration of ideas. On the other hand, a DEO um, is not based on command and control. It's more based on nurture and inspire. So with a DEO, uh, you're very aware that you can't force or, or make things happen. You have to inspire them or, or encourage them to happen. And, and much of it comes from the, you collaborating very effectively and at the same level as, as your employees and your colleagues and your other stakeholders. Mm-hmm. In a summary, I think of a CEO as a very top-down approach, and I think of a DEO from a bottom-up approach. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it does line up with, with a lot of other trends that people are talking about as far as 21st century leadership being one less of directing and commanding and, and more of one of facilitating and, and nurturing, as you say. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, a good example is the, the difference between managing and mentoring. Like, you know, instead of managing down, how do you bring people up and enable them to be innovative in their thinking and doing? Yeah, I think there's also a broader perspective that a DEO takes. A, a CEO is very focused on the bottom line, very focused on uh, pleasing shareholders and their board. A DEO is very aware of his his or her community, um, is very aware of the impact they're having on the planet, is very aware of whether they're um, helping their employees grow as people rather than just as performers. So I think there's a, a much broader and integrated uh, perspective of a DEO. Mm-hmm. My uh, boss, Mark Zuckerberg, um, he's often uh, said, you know, we make money to build great products, not the other way around. And that really does sort of, um, that really is a good illustration of a DEO where they have a a North Star. They're in it for uh, a bigger reason. And uh, making money is part of the mix, but it's more of a sustainability of an idea rather than it being the driver for success, the sole driver for success. Now, do you literally suggest that businesses look for leaders from their design functions as opposed to traditionally where they've looked at them from non-design functions like operations and marketing and finance? Yeah, I, I think what I think this is kind of a, a, a little hard question for me to answer, but I feel like these qualities that people possess do not necessarily live in specific functions and companies. They live all, they're all over the place. You're going to find people who live in this, this uh, world where they can balance um, analytic um, information with using their gut feelings and intuition. 
our idea is that this isn't this does just doesn't exist in one separate group. This is like you have to find these people uh, throughout the company who have these superpowers um, and and leverage them up. So you don't have to go to B school to become a CEO. You don't have to go or DEO. You don't have to go to design school to be a CEO or a DEO. You can it can come out of any industry. It can come out of um, fine art. It can come from finance, um, although the idea of a creative financier is is probably not a good combination <laughs> to put together. Do you yeah. want to add? But no, I, I certainly agree. Although I think there is a you would have a higher rate of success finding this type of person right now in a design department, um, and that's just because. This is a rare character right now. It's it's very hard to find a good design leader or a good DEO. There's just not that many of them around yet. Yeah. Yes, and our hope is in writing this book is that um, the, the the book that we're the the in writing this book is that we weren't really necessarily targeting just designers. What we are targeting and what we're saying is yes that these these actual qualities and there's six of them that we can talk about. Designers are trained already in in um, in many of these um, skills and qualities, um, but they're not really looked upon as uh, leaders. Oftentimes, creative people aren't defined as as leaders in companies, um, but these these skill sets actually are well suited um, for um, for leadership um, abilities. Well, let's talk about those those six characteristics. It, it, your book is organized into four parts, me, we, do, and be. And this me section of the book is where you describe these six defining characteristics of a DEO. So you're, uh, you've got a change agent. What, what's that one about? A change agent is someone who embraces the power of change and the, and the positivity of change. So they don't run from it. They don't try to um, you know, manage it over too much. They, they, because they embrace change, they help lead others to it as well. So they're catalysts, you know, they're, they're, they spark um, change in a, in a uh, positive direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then number two is risk taker. Mm-hmm. Well, a risk taker is, uh, you know, that's, I think everybody knows what a risk taker is. Uh, we differentiate between risk takers and risk seekers. Yeah. Um, we don't embrace risk or we don't endorse risk seekers. We don't endorse people who, who go after, you know, the adrenaline fix of taking wild risks. We really talk about um, what it means to take smart risks and to, um, you know, understand that you may fail because taking a risk um, does at, at sometimes lead to failure. But there's no, you have no possibility of being creative if you aren't willing to take a risk. That's part of the definition of being creative. Yeah, when you think of change agents and risk takers, what you're really seeing are people who understand and have an appetite for evolution. That it's not about the status quo. It's not about moving the needle a little. It's what is next. And, um, and those two combinations um, have to be, you have to be able, in order to be a good change agent, you have to know um, how to take really good, smart risks. And then go ahead and walk us through the, the other f- uh, four. Okay, the third one called systems thinking. And this is, this is what designers are trained to do in school. 
Our world has become so complex that uh, we no longer can adopt a very narrow view of the world or to solve any kind of problems. Um, systems thinkers have the ability to connect the thought, to, to connect dots between patterns. They see they could take in a tremendous amount of information. They can take in information that is quantitative. They can take in information that's based on simple observations. They can take information from the social graph. And they take all of this information, which they're not afraid of, they start looking at patterns, and they start connecting the dots. Um, and these are incredibly powerful people um, who need that will be very successful in a globally connected world. It's a very common um, ability among uh, scientists and engineers, um, and, and surprisingly, I think almost ironically, among designers. And it kind of keeps you humble because you, you never can say with uh, you know, 100% assurance that, okay, if we fix A, then that's going to be the, the you know, that's going to fix B. Yeah. You always know that if you do anything to A, well, it may fix B, but it may cause a problem with C or D or E. Mm-hmm. So you end up having this humble, uh, holistic attitude that um, it, it, when it's done at its best, it, it minimizes the things that go wrong, but it go, the things that go wrong, but it understands that some will. Yep. The fourth one is um, what we call socially intelligent, which I think is an, uh, is an incredibly important trait. There's a lot of books written about social <laughs> intelligence. What, what I like to really think about is at the end of the day, everything you do and everything we do is centered around people and having deep, deep empathy for people, both uh, the people that, you, uh, that report to you, the people that your, your peers, uh, your customers, um, your impact on the community, and um, and approaching the world in much more of a from a positive perspective. So social intelligence goes a very long way in terms of leading people and inspiring them to do better work. Yeah. Uh, next chapter is on the ability to be intuitive. And here the the tendency is for people to think of intuition as the opposite of analytic. Um, and that is one definition. But for us, uh, we were more more thinking of intuition as um, the ability you develop after mastering a skill or an area. It, you are able, after that mastery, you are able to think very quickly. You are able to make snap judgments that are often accurate. Um, and that is many of us in, you know feel or think of that as intuition but it, it's it's also just the a result of years of mastery and expertise and being very devoted and committed um, to your to your craft and that again is something very common to designers that they they have this passion and devotion um, that eventually makes them very fast thinkers in in selected areas mm-hmm. and the last one is what we call GSD Jesse, do you know what that means? I do. Get shit done. Very memorable. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> because ideas, it's not just about the thinking. Ideas are just ideas, and, they're, they, um, and they really go nowhere unless they're actually put into action. Um, so a DEO not only could think strategically, but um, the DEO can execute flawlessly. 
And um, so, you know, all of these qualities are really important. But at the end of the day, if you can't get shit done, you haven't moved the needle at all. And this is another, uh, I think, differentiating point um, when you think about the difference between a DEO and a CEO. Uh, a CEO is often thought of as above the action. You know, they're they're a, they're a long-term planner. They're a high-level decision maker. Um, they're not really getting their hands dirty. A DEO takes pride in getting their hands dirty. A DEO wants to be very close to the action because that is what fuels his or her intuition. That's what keeps them socially intelligent and connected. That's what helps them understand to be a system thinker. That's what helps them take better risks and that what helps them feel confident as a change agent. So mm -hmm. staying close to the action is a really important mm -hmm. aspect. Mm -hmm. I always say never let go of the practitioner in you. Yeah, as you were describing what makes the designer tick, and there's just this fundamental love for the product or, or service or whatever it is that you are creating for the customer that it is probably going to reach the level of geekiness and so even when you rise to the level of CEO, you just, at some point, you're always going to be uh, very excited about the product itself and want to be involved with it at some point. Yeah, and it's also important to have, again, having that level of mastery and that knowledge um, builds uh, respect from your team. So uh, it's, that's why it's important to kind of uh, uh, stay dirty um, and in the process and, and speak from a point of knowledge because those are the things that are going to uh, inspire teams. Right. And think of, I mean, just think of the time we're in right now, the, 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 um, the volatility of the marketplace. You, you can wake up any morning and have a brand new competitor sitting on your doorstep, one that you didn't even see coming um, because the technology has changed or a new country has, has gotten into business with you or, you, you know, who knows what, what creates it. Without being uh, close to the action, you just don't have the agility to make change really fast. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, you've got to study it and you've got to plan. And, and there, there just isn't time for that in the era that we're living in. Mm -hmm. I was trying to think about how this applies with a company like Google that is so engineer-driven. Now, they're very product-focused, but in comparison with a, a company like Apple, which is obviously more design-minded and cares about aesthetics, and, and Google, uh, on the other hand, has been criticized. Some of their products are, are so stark, or you know, let's say that that would be one of the criticisms of, let's say, Google Plus versus Facebook is, is, is the design elements of that. But do you... Do you think that the, the engineers that are, are sort of running Google, are, would they still qualify as a DEO? Well, you know, clearly, Facebook is a much better product than Google+. <laughs> 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 um, but <laughs> in truth, what we're seeing is that, um, and it, with the acquisition of Hot Studio, uh, you know, it was one of, the, one of the largest design acquisitions uh, that uh, technology um, company would took has taken on, hmm. um, uh, you know, pure design talent. All of these technical technology companies are now seeing the incredible value of design. Design, you know, technology has uh, been kind of commoditized. You know, back in the day, 
people were really excited to just, you know, turn on Photoshop and wait an hour for something to render. Um, you remember those days, Jesse, mm -hmm. right? Right. Remember those days of like PsyQuest drives and, you know, the magic of attaching uh, cords and, um, you know, just even typing simple code and then seeing it come to life. We were really enamored with technology. It was new, but now it's more of a commodity and an enabler of creating great experiences. And with the birth of these of the millennial generation who were born into technology, what they demand are good experiences. They don't think of technology or digital products as uh, separate from their lives. They're integrated. They're, they're considered more like body parts now. So there's a huge demand for great quality experiences, which is coming from the design community. And so the designers are leading the way, but then when we talk about design being about collective change and it's about collaboration and facilitation, there is this uh, opportunity for designers to become, to lead people towards great experiences. Now, Google traditionally was thought of as a technology company, but if you look at the work that they're doing recently, they have invested quite a lot in design. Yeah. The products have gotten much, much better over the last couple of years. So uh, I think that all of these, all the technology companies are really paying attention to, to design as a, as a differentiator. And you can see that um, throughout the, particularly throughout the Valley, but um, you know, you can see it happening in a lot of companies where they're elevating uh, their design talent to the C level, uh, they may not be running the company yet as a as a DEO, but but they're very actively in the decision making role. And Google is falling behind in that area at all. The thing that's interesting for me to watch, and I think um, a lot of us here in the Valley feel that way, is what's next. Um, you know, you look back and you realize that. Facebook is barely, what, 10 years old? Yeah, not even 10 years uh, old yet. Twitter is uh, maybe, I think, eight years old. Um, so we have gotten to the point where we, we expect something really big to show up any time now that will, you know, change everything. And suddenly, you know, maybe, maybe there'll be a, a brand new company at the top of the world. I wonder, looking at those, the six characteristics that you, that you identified there, in your book, you provide several examples of, of ways that people can work out those characteristics to develop those further. I wonder if you could each choose your favorite of those six and, and share one of those tips. Um, well, let's see. It's, it's hard to choose a favorite. I mean, um, let me just back up if I can a little bit and tell you why we designed the book the way we did, and then we can answer the question of, of um, workouts. <laughs> workouts. So we started with, as, as Maria said, we, we felt a need to write this book, but we also realized that an awful lot of business books get written, um, then you know some percentage get bought, and a very, very tiny percentage get read, uh, and an even tinier percentage get applied. And, and we wanted to, to address that problem. We wanted to write a book that we not only believed in the content, but we made it highly accessible 
um, so that it could actually um, help change what was happening in the world. And give people tangible actions to take that they can take no matter what level of the organization they're at. Exactly. So, you know, the book, first and foremost, is attractive. You know, it's, it's enjoyable to look at. It's then um, divided into fairly small bite-sized uh, chapters that start with an overall theory that's based on a great deal of research we did. We give you, if you want to continue and go deeper into the theory, we give you a, a list of the uh, most relevant books that have been written on that topic. Um, we then move into what we call workouts, which is what your question referenced. And these are techniques that we've both used uh, in our career and in our companies to help uh, people develop a stronger um, sense of the characteristic or talent we're talking about. Now, one of my favorite um, workouts is in the, I believe it's in the section on intuition. It's, that's a hard one to, you know, you say, okay, I'm either born intuitive or I'm not and it can't be changed. Um, that actually is not true. Everybody has some level of intuition. And creativity. And creativity. And you can, you can enhance that. And one of the workouts we suggest is you really should find time in your, in your work schedule to go to museums, to go to galleries, to go to any place where you can give your brain access to the enjoyment of creativity, where you're not analyzing, where you're not uh, trying to get something accomplished, where you're just really feeding the uh, intuitive and creative side of your brain. And, and, and that's not to be thought of as recreation. That should be part of your work day. That was my favorite. Oh, no. one <laughs> <laughs> right now. I mean, that, that alone is very counterintuitive. It, it basically suggests that you need to carve time into your day to get away from day to day and go do what feels very non-productive, to get away from your desk, stop, quote, working, if you will, and then let the intuitive part of you take advantage of all that systems thinking and actually put things together. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, have you ever taken a shower, Jesse, and then have all these ideas popping into your head? Yeah, I'm just waiting for to, for them to come out with a, a waterproof iPhone so that I can capture those ideas on the spot. Yeah. You go on vacation and suddenly your mind feels active and alive because you actually have time and space to think about things. Um, well, you know, I could build upon that um, that uh, workout where uh, this, this tip came from um, – a woman uh, here in San Francisco called Betsy Burroughs, she has a book called Focus Catalyst. And she would, um, she's a strategist, and she would take teams um, to Yosemite Park, Yosemite National Park, uh, via Caltrans. So you can, you can get on a train here in San Francisco and take over the whole car and lead workshops inside the train for three hours, you get out, you're in Yosemite, you get to enjoy and walk around and have nature and have this moment of reflection together collectively. You get right back, have dinner maybe, lunch, and then you get right back on the train and do another work session for three hours. It's a full day of deep concentration with a combination of freeing your mind and being in nature. And I just think that is such a brilliant idea that can easily be applied. You know, take your team on a trip. And 
and create uh, an, uh, an environment where people can actually co-create and brainstorm while traveling. Yeah. And here's another one that I, I love that our listeners can do right now. Um, so there's maybe some apprehension about taking risks or adopt, you know, embracing change and becoming a change agent. So start with something little. Take your watch and take it from, maybe you've got it on your right hand now, put it on your left hand. Something that little. Um, if you're at your desk and you've got it arranged a certain way, rearrange it. Move your computer to the other side of the desk. Move your files to a, a, another corner. Um, if you're in your closet, go rearrange your closet. Move your clothes around. Change things that used to be put together. Now reorganize it by color or by size or by something else. If you just start with those little tiny changes into in your daily life, you can build up a greater appetite for it, and you don't have to feel so intimidated. I have one more, if you want to hear one more. Absolutely. Okay. Another one is, uh, as a leader, put, putting yourself in the center of the action. You know, so many, traditionally, what do leaders do? They get, like, the best room in the on the floor. It's usually in a corner. It's usually, you know, has windows looking out, not in. And I think what the leader should do is find the shittiest space in the center of the office and put their desk there. And when I was at HOT, I, would, I basically put my desk in a space where people had to walk by my desk every day. Amen. And they had, to, they had to look at me and interact with me. Now, you could say that's a good thing or a bad thing. But it, what it does is it feels like it's evening the playing field, that you are one of, you are part of the team. Right. So um, get a, so move move from being on the outskirts to inside the center of action, and um, don't be locked in a cubicle. Oh, I love it. Well, the book is Rise of the DEO: Leadership by Design. There's a lot more even in just the first quarter of the book that we've been talking about, and there's a, a ton more in the book overall. Where can people find out more about you and your work in this book? Uh, the simplest, there's two really simple ways to do it. One is on Facebook. If you type in Rise of the DEO, you'll go to our Facebook page. We update it almost daily, so we, we are building on the book and adding more content. Um, you can also go to our website, which is riseofthedeo.com. Um, there we have uh, uh, blogs. We, have, we list our events where we're speaking. We have a link to where you can buy the book on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Um, and really, we consolidate all of our information there. We, we also are on Twitter. So Rise of the DEO on Twitter, you'll find us there. Mm-hmm. And of course, buy the book. Yeah, buy the book. <laughs> it's a great gift. Maria Judis is Facebook's Director of Product Design. And Christopher Ireland is co-founder at the startup incubator Mix and Stir. Maria and Christopher, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. It was really fun. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. Again, the book is Leadership by Design, Rise of the DEO, and we'll provide the links and information that Christopher and Maria mentioned on our show notes for this episode. Also, if you want to catch them in person, you can see them at the South by Southwest conference. They'll be speaking on March 8th, 2014, and we'll provide a link to that as well. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 78 as in episode 78. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers 
to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about. 